0: just as real as the visible world. But the challenge is, how do we align our lives around that reality? Most of, us, most of us would say, well, we believe God answers prayer, but sometimes we don't really put that to the test. And sometimes we're not convinced that if right now if somebody prayed for you to have more joy in your life, if we're honest, we're not convinced whether or not that person verbalizing that right then and there makes any difference. I think we believe and we at least hope it will. Um, but I think sometimes our practice, and if we're honest, would say, well, I don't really know because whatever happens, happens. But we do believe that when we... Pr- I believe right now that some things that we're just asked for will actually come into being or move that direction because we ask. And that may not have happened had we not asked. Now, you might say, wait a minute, that sounds... No, but that seems the way that God seems to work, and he answers when people call on him. And there's something about us asking him to do something that actually catalyzes him to do something not that he wouldn't do it otherwise but you got to get a sense that God's given us that authority to ask him to do something so when we're praying here it's not just I hope it's not just a good feel-good hallmark moment but we really do believe that I mean just yesterday my wife's out of town with some of our kids and she was calling she called me and told me two of the kids were fighting I won't tell you which two but you could probably figure it out but and, and so I, she said, would you pray for me? This was on my voicemail. So I just, that, I just stopped and I prayed that both of my kids would have peace and kindness toward one another. And then I, 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 I was just kind of having this conversation with God. And then I thought, okay, do I, do I really believe that God might do that in my kids? They're in South Carolina. I'm here. Does prayer work that way? And I thought, well, I sure hope it does. If it doesn't, then what are we doing here? Right? If God doesn't respond to the cries of his people, and if he doesn't acknowledge that, then... Um, so, if, you're, if you struggle with the concept of what prayer, if prayer matters, it's a good struggle to keep engaging in. Because we're called to be those kind of people, people who pray. So, anyway. Hey, uh, next slide here. Um, who has seen this in their rearview mirror in the last few weeks? Just honestly. Who, who, who has actually gotten pulled over in the last few weeks? Anybody? In the last month for speeding. Anybody? Okay, what kind of excuses do you give to a police officer when they pull you over for speeding? What do you say? Sometimes, there's different strategies, right? One strategy is to say, well, I didn't know everybody else was going. I mean, you kind of rationalize. Now, who, who typically does that? Who's kind of, you try to talk your way out of it and say, maybe the police, no. Who plays stupid? Huh? And then, and then who just kind of thinks... I'll just be dirt honest with him, and maybe he'll get... Yeah, I was speeding, you're right, officer. How many try that, and does it ever work? All right, does it work? Sometimes it does. All right. Um, But it's interesting when you have those moments, when you see the lights in the back of your windshield, and the guy walks up or the gal walks up, and you're wrestled with, okay, what do I say? Because I think I'm busted. I mean, most often than not, you know you were speeding, or at least have a good sense that you were going over the limit. And the challenge is, what do I say that might psychologically give me some advantage? And the whole goal is what? Not getting a ticket, right? So we try to figure out what the right response is. And um, usually, at least I've never had it work. I've never talked to policemen policeman of give me a ticket, but that's just me. I haven't gotten one lately, so. But now here's the question. How do you respond? How do I respond when God's getting your attention About some issue in your life, how do you respond when you when God is pointing out to you? And I'm not equating God with a policeman who pulls you over to give you a fine or anything, but there are some similarities. How do you respond when God's trying to point out a sin issue in your life? Maybe it's a small issue, maybe it's a big issue, maybe it's an issue that's not immoral, but it's just something that you sense God's telling you to stop doing for the sake of another. How do you respond to God when God comes to you and confronts you and you might you might say, "Well, is it God that God's not that way. It sounds kind of harsh." No, but God does. All through the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, God is confronting people with sin in their life. How do you respond? What is God looking for in a response? All right? Today, you know, we, we, in the month of June, go to the next slide, I know it's not June anymore, but we did, we had the Exodus prayer experience, and one of the things I talked about was the passage in Psalms where it says, if I cherish sin in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And the whole idea of, okay, to what role does my relationship with God about my sin issues play in whether or not I have this open, alive communication with God in prayer, and and of course, none of us are perfect. Everybody has issues. We all have issues, but are there? I'm talking about those issues in your life that you know God's trying to get your attention about, or you choose not to know that. But you know what I'm talking about. You intentionally or not, but you are not quite yet sure you want to give that up. All right. I'm not talking about just the things you struggle with. I mean, there's there's, there's sin that we struggle with. And then there's sin that we kind of cherish, nurture. We don't say it that way. We would never tell people that. But we kind of think we have a right to this because it gives us some degree of life or energy or something. I'm not talking about the struggling kind of sins. Uh, there's, we all struggle with stuff. So to do that, I'm going to look at two different examples from the Old Testament, two different kings, actually. King Saul and King David. So we're going to start with Saul. And I want you to think about, okay, what is the way that we're supposed to respond when God challenges us with something in our life. And so here, here's the first example Saul, King Saul. Okay, now King Saul uh, was anointed as king by Samuel. God told Samuel to anoint Saul as king, it was God's chosen king. But there's one particular story, and I just pulled this thing off here. I was trying to leave. There's one particular story in 1 Samuel, or 2nd, yeah, 1 Samuel 15. And here's what the story was, and here's the confrontation. God told Saul to lead the Israelites and to destroy the Amalekites. Now, whether you wrestle not with God calling somebody to destroy a whole town, that's a whole other sermon. It's a valid question, but that's not the point of the sermon today. God basically told, because the Amalekites had done some really harsh things and had not uh, treated God's people well, and so God told Saul, I want you to completely destroy the Amalekites. The word completely is key here. Again, this is hard. He says men, women, children, animals, everything, completely. Now, again, the part of God's character that would, that would call for that, that's another sermon, and there's a, good, there's a good way to think about that, but that's not what we're talking about today, all right? But the point is, God told Saul, I want you completely to wipe out the Amalekites, completely. Saul leads God's army into battle. They kill people. They wipe out people, but Saul decides to save the best animals, and Saul doesn't kill the king, King Agag. So God said completely, Saul saved the best animals and the best stuff, and he didn't kill the king. So here's where that story picks up. Samuel shows up. Samuel is the one who told Saul. This is what God said, destroy them completely. Samuel, the prophet, shows up at the camp. This is 1 Samuel 15, and I'll start with verse 13. When Samuel finally found him, Saul greeted him cheerfully. May the Lord bless you, he said. I've carried out the Lord's command. Then Samuel says, then what's all this bleeding of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle I hear? Because remember, Saul was supposed to kill everything, including animals. And then Saul says, "This it's true that the army spared the best of the sheep, goats, and the cattle." Saul admitted, "But they're going to sacrifice them to the Lord your God. We have destroyed everything else." See how Saul's kind of nuancing? Well, we saved the best stuff because we're going to sacrifice it to God. But remember, what did God say? Completely. All right, say that word with me. Completely. Completely. Right. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop. Listen to what the Lord told me last night. What did he tell you, Saul asked? And Samuel told him, although you you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and told you, go and completely destroy those sinners, the Amalekites, until they are dead. Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Why did you rush for the plunder and do what was evil in the Lord's sight. But I did obey the Lord, Saul insisted. Now, if you're like me, you starts to feel a little autobi- autobiographical. But I did, I did. I carried out the mission he gave me. I brought back King Agag, who he was supposed to kill, but I destroyed everything else. Then my troops brought the best of the sheep, goats, cattle, and plunder to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So you see, Samuel's already kind of, or Saul, ...is already kind of nuancing his lack of obeying God's command to completely destroy. But then Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, this is Samuel talking to Saul, obedience is better than sacrifice. And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshipping idols... So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And you might think, wow, that sounds kind of harsh. But God was looking for complete obedience. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. So now he's a different ploy. Yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and in the Lord's command. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. In other words, now my disobedience was, it wasn't really my fault. I mean, I was afraid of these people. I am afraid of my own people. So, like you and I do, we rationalize and we have an explanation for our disobedience, but it's not really my fault. Maybe you're not good at that, but I can be really good at that. But now please forgive me and come back with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you. Since you have rejected the Lord's command, he has rejected you as the king of Israel. As Samuel turned to go... Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. So here's Samuel, prophet, walking away. And Saul grabs him and tears his robe, kind of like, no, 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 don't. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And then Saul pleaded again, well, I know I have sinned. See, now he's acknowledged, I know I've sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people. In other words, well, I've sinned, but... Can you still do this for me? And I want you to notice that Saul... And this happened one other the times when Saul was king. Something he was told not to do, he did. But he had this real good rationalization of... Well, I, I know I sinned, but... There's a really good explanation for this. I know I... Yeah, I know I was harsh with my wife in an argument... But there is a really good explanation for that. Or, I know... I'm not really doing with my money what God wants me to do. But there's a good explanation for that. Or I know I didn't completely, completely tell the truth in that situation to my boss. But there's a really good explanation for that. I mean, maybe you're not like me. But that, those kind of things are common, I think, in the human experience. We strain to tell the truth. And what we do is, what I often say is, we're really good, we're really good at being factual but not truthful. We tell the facts of a situation in such a way that the truth is not really spoken. So lock that in your head. This is Saul. When Samuel confronted him with the sin, Saul, oh, I did, but, I did, but, I did, but. Well, yeah, I did sin, but, 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 but. All right, that's Saul. Now, let's go to the next example, David. David. Most of you, if you have any kind of church background, and if you don't, I'll explain, might know David's sin. It was with Bathsheba. David was a king who followed Saul. He was the king who actually took Saul's place when God, through Samuel, told Saul, Saul you're not going to be king anymore. God's rejected you. I'm going I'm to give you someone else as king. David, his sin is, you might even think, is a little more severe. Saul just didn't kill certain people and didn't kill animals. David, on the top of his rooftop one day, sees a beautiful woman bathing who's not his wife. He calls for her. He has sex with her, commits adultery with her. All right, huge, huge no-no, huge sin. Then he finds out she gets pregnant. So now what he does is he tries to get her husband to sleep with her so they can think that that's what got her pregnant. That doesn't work because he won't do that because he's in the army. So then David arranges for her husband to get killed in battle. He actually arranges a battle situation Or the husband gets killed. So adultery and murder. That's David's sins. Saul's was, I didn't completely kill the people I was supposed to kill. Now, right away, I think if we rank the sins, which I'm not sure God always ranks them that way, we think, wow, David, he had a few more sin points there. So, but What's interesting now, though, is how David responded when he was confronted. And now we go to that, to 2 Samuel 12 which is just the next book over and in this case it wasn't Samuel the prophet it was Nathan the prophet who confronted David so Nathan basically here's how he confronted David he, he comes to David he tells this parable of a man who had all these sheep all these cattle but he saw one poor man that had one sheep and he wanted it so he stole that from that man And David was so mad, he's like, well, that man who did that should be punished. Because, you know, why did he take that man's lamb when he had all these other lambs? And Nathan said, but David, that's what you just did. You stole a man's wife and had him killed, even though in those days David had multiple wives and concubines. And this was, we can tell, it's about nine months later, because shortly after this incident, the baby was born to Bathsheba. So David's been hiding this lie For nine months. And some of the psalms he wrote during that time, he talks about how my bones wasted away when I hid my sin from you. So Nathan tells David that and challenges David in 12. And then uh, this is how David responded. One sentence. Verse 13. Then David confessed to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Period. I have sinned against the Lord. And the story continues and the baby doesn't the baby doesn't live and God forgives him, but there's still consequences of sin. But David is I have sinned before the Lord. Period. Now let's compare him here. Saul, I have sinned, but there's a good explanation for this. David is I have sinned, period. Those are two radically different ways to confess sin to God or in front of others. It's really easy to say I've sinned if I have an explanation for it. Because I'm really saying it really wasn't my fault. David, who had the more what we would call severe sin... Just says, I've sinned before the Lord. And then David in Scripture is known as the man after God's own heart. Saul is known as the man that God rejected. One man's sin was greater than the other, but the response shows the kind of heart God was looking for. Now, of course, God didn't want David to commit adultery or kill somebody, but the response of David, which was, I have sinned before the Lord, period. No rationalization, no excuses. What I've done has violated the heart of God. Here's a good rule about confession. Next slide here. Oh no, this is well that's a, what we do, what, what we're really good at can, this is one of those paint things from the paint store. And I've circled in the red or I've squared in in the red. It's called universal black. We're really good, or at least I'll speak for myself. I'm really good that when I do something that I know is shady, whether it's how I treated somebody honesty or whatever I'm really good at saying you know what that was kind of a sea life black kind of sin it wasn't really sin or you know we may even choose winter gray or tropical dusk. there's something it seems like what God wants us to be able to acknowledge is no it was black what I did was wrong confession the word confession In the Greek, and I don't go into the Greek too much up here, but the word is literally homo legeo. Homo, same, legeo, to say. So when we confess to God, we say the same that God says about it. So if God calls something a lie, then we call it a lie. We don't call it just a misspoken statement. When God calls something harsh... We don't simply say, I just had a bad day at the office. When God calls something unforgiveness, we don't say, well, you don't know how much they hurt me. So confession is to say what God says about it. And so I'm I'm a real big one. I've learned that it's really important for me at least, and I think it's a good principle... To use as much biblical concepts as possible. Like when I'm harsh with my wife, I will say, I'm sorry, I was harsh with you. Now, I don't say that a lot. I hope I don't. I think I say it less than I used to. But there's something that forces me to be honest with this is what I was doing. And this is is where my heart was. And I know I need that grace of God to help me not be that way. Now, here's what we have to avoid. Go to the next slide. Ifs, buts, and maybes. All right? And I'll keep on the theme of being harsh to my wife. My wife's in South Carolina today, so she can't hear any of this. But you can all report back. I'm being totally honest, all right? Okay. Yeah, I was harsh with you, Kathy. But if you wouldn't have done that first... All right, now, is that a confession? I was. But if you wouldn't have... Or... Well... Kathy, if you thought I was harsh to you, then I'm sorry. Now, those of you wise who are married, if you had that from your husband, how would that feel? Because what I'm saying is, if you thought I was harsh, then I'm sorry. I'm not acknowledging I was harsh. What I'm basically saying is, if you had this perverted sense of behavior, and you thought what I did was wrong, then I'm sorry. But the burden is on your misunderstanding, not on my action. You see the difference there? If you put an if, a but, or a maybe after your I'm sorry to God or I'm sorry to another human being when you violated how God wants to treat people, then it's not a true confession. Because then you're in the spirit of Saul. You're just like Saul who had an explanation as to why. Now, yeah, if I'm harsh with my wife, maybe, and again, I'm not. it's not like the story of our marriage, okay? I love my wife. But if I am, yeah, there may be things she said or did that might have irritated me. And early in our marriage, I used to always, I used to tell God, God, I, yeah, I know it's harsh, but it's her fault. If she wouldn't have said that to me, I wouldn't have said that back. And I've, over time, God started telling, revealing to me, no, you are responsible for even how you respond to things. So it's not anybody else, or if, you know, like I said, if I said, well, I can't, I wasn't really honest in that situation because if I would have been, it would have made them upset. So again, it's kind of this ifs and buts and maybes. And you might stop and think, okay, why this talk about sin, Matt? What's going on? And I've been kind of obsessed lately with the sense of if we want to become a church that prays and sees God do things... The principle of Scripture is true. If we cherish sin in our heart, the Lord will not hear us, individually and even to some degree corporately. There's nothing I have in mind. I'm not going to, uh, there's not like a list of sins I have that I think people are doing. It's just I know if you're human and I'm human, those things happen. Here's a couple passages I want to point out to you, too. Go to the next one. 1 John 1 9. If we confess, and this, well, let me read the pastor. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. God's desire for us to confess sin is not because he's this harsh taskmaster who just wants to remind us how scummy we really are. Confession of sin is a necessary part of the journey to wholeness and being alive, awake, and free. That's what God wants for us. So when he wants us to confess his sin, it's because he wants to forgive us. He wants to put us back in a right situation with him. It's not because he's trying to be harsh or mean. And it's not because he's trying to, you know, drive us into the ground. And it's not this harsh controlling God who controls us by the confrontation of sin. It's because God wants us to be alive, awake, and free. And he knows that there's something in your life or in my life that is going unchecked. You cannot be that kind of person. The next one in James... Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Why? So you might be healed. You might, ha- you might f- have a wholeness of who you are again. Whether it's uh, the healing of your soul, healing of a body. I mean, David talked about when he had unconfessed sin, his bones wasted away. He had physical repercussions of unconfessed sin. Now, I'm not saying if anybody have a f- sore leg or a sore arm, it's because of unconfessed sin. But there is a connection to our whole bodies when, stuff, when we're holding things in like that. But again, the point is, it's because he wants us to be healed. It's not because he wants us to be beat ourselves up and to go into days and months of self-condemnation and self-hatred and, oh, what a horrible sinner I am. I mean, I, I used to be a part of a church years ago where one of the guys said, oh, I love this church because every, every Sunday I go out, I'm reminded about how much of a sinner I am. And I thought, i got to get out of this church because that's not the gospel. The gospel is, apart from Christ, you're a sinner, but when Jesus comes into your life, you have a new heart and a new spirit. You are no longer defined by being a sinner anymore. You're defined by someone who has a new heart, the great capacity to be alive, awake, and free, and all that God made you to be. But yeah, we still wrestle with sin, but you are not a sinner anymore. You are a child of God with the Spirit of God in you, and that's why God will not tolerate anything around that that's keeping him from being fully filling into your life. So the the, the message is not, you're all sinners and so am I, and let's feel bad about it and remind ourselves, and let's go home and feel like we had a good time at church. The message is, no, you have the Spirit of God in you if you're a child of God. You have the Spirit of God who wants to make you full of mercy, grace, forgiveness, goodness, strength, power, peace, joy, everything. But the message is eliminate, deal with anything that's being an obstacle what God wants to make you to be. Deal with it before God, with others. Part of the passage from James is there is wisdom in confessing sin to another. That's where, if you grew up Catholic, that's where the whole tradition of confession to the priest is. We don't believe that you have to confess to a pastor, so Dan and I aren't going to set up a booth anywhere. You know, But you, I'm, well, I'm sure we're willing to listen. You have friends in the congregation that maybe will listen. There's something about verbalizing to someone else your brokenness that is spiritually really wholesome to you. So uh, just a challenge, and here's the question of the morning, and we'll finish here Go to the next slide. Is God talking to you lately about any sin in your life? Is there something he's trying to get your attention about? Are you arguing with him? Are you rationalizing with him? Are you adding if, buts, and maybes? Or are you willing just to say, you know what? God, you're right. Help me help me to take a next step. Help me to move past this. Um, just close your eyes. Jesus, I'm absolutely convinced that your complete absolute desire for each person in this room is that they be full of the life and the power that comes from you alone. There's not a person in here, God, that you don't see and you don't have a plan for us to be absolutely and completely alive, awake, and free. But God, we also know that we wrestle with our flesh and we have an enemy. And there's times where we nurse certain issues in our life that we don't want to let go of, but God, would you help us to see how those things are obstacles to what you want to do in our lives? So God, if, whether it's now or even in the future, even if it's a small issue that we think is small and insignificant, if we sense you're getting our, trying to get our attention, would you give us ears to hear? Would you help us hear what you're trying to say to us? Because we want to be pure and alive. So, God, this week, would you bring to mind anything that we need to deal with? Would you put us in contact with a, a spiritual friend or a spiritual mentor that we can talk to about it with? And would, when we have those conversations, would they not be conversations of condemnation, but would they be conversations of mercy, forgiveness, grace, and encouragement? That's the kind of people we want to be. We want to be completely obedient to you in all ways. We don't want to be like Saul. But we want to be like David, that when after he was caught in his sin, that he responded in complete brokenness to you. So give us a heart of David. Help us to be men and women after your own heart in that way. And um, we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, uh, we finish every Sunday with...